0: Hey, welcome to the Football Diary podcast. A load of goals to talk about this week with some ridiculously open games of football, including a 3-3 thriller between Man City and Spurs, a 4-3 win for Liverpool over Fulham, Chelsea 3-Brighton 2, Burnley thumping Sheffield United 5-0, many, many more games beside that as well. But I'm here with Dave today. We'll start at the Etihad where an out-of-form Tottenham with uh, dead certs to lose against Man City, I thought, in my opinion, based on the form book and the way they'd lost three in a row going into this game. But instead, they dug in to produce probably one of the displays of the season so far against the odds. Now, Dave, they had a lot of luck, which we'll come to in a moment, uh, to get this, this, this draw, this valuable point. Uh, but it's a great point for Spurs, isn't it, really, at the end of the day?
1: Absolutely. And I think in terms of uh, the balance of the game, like you mentioned that they obviously conceded quite a few opportunities in the first half particularly where they had to ride that wave of, of city pressure and they did so well to to get through that um and i think you just got to applaud for the way that they did they the way they played in that second half the the amount of sort of character and you know really really showed that sort of uh, that Metal and you know the the steel the nerve, really, to be honest, that they showed to play the way that they did and continue to sort of press high and win the ball in in those uh in those high areas, which obviously where the 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 second equalizer came from, um was you know it was really showed how far they've come, particularly as a team, and really how much they've transformed actually in terms of their the style of play. It's still crazy to, for me to to think the way that they do play now, considering the the style of play they've had over the last couple of years, two or three years, where, you know, fans are frankly uh, bored of obviously the way that they were playing. But that they're, they're so easy on the eye now. And it, it really looked like, to be honest, in that second half, like there was only going to be one team probably mm. to go on and win it. It actually took for Spurs to obviously score that third goal for, for City to really kind of open, a, I think, open up a little bit a little bit more and obviously that, that opportunity at the very end to to potentially win it. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I, I just thought that the way they actually took the second half, kind of the ball by the horns really, wasn't it?
0: Um, yeah, well, they, they yeah. had to make a change at half-time, didn't they? They brought on um, Hoiberg, um and that made a big difference because uh, Brian Hill started the game and was not really doing anything for them. They just needed more numbers in the middle. So fair play to Ange Postecoglou for making that choice quite early on because the first half was pretty much all City. But yeah, the second half, as soon as they made that switch, it felt like the system kind of worked for them again. And I know Ange Postecoglou's kind of been criticized for sticking to his principles and you know playing the same way even when his team's kind of under the cosh. And I think it's been kind of dubbed as naive a little bit to continue to play that way. And I know... When they were you know, short of players, when they got players sent off, they continued to play that way in previous games, got punished for it. But on this occasion, it felt like it paid off. It felt like the right approach against the City team that were kind of worryingly open. You know, they conceded a lot of goals City in the last few games, haven't they? And drawn three in a row now. And I think they sensed an opportunity, Tottenham, to take advantage of that. And I thought they did that brilliantly in the second half.
1: Yeah, I think the City was nine they've conceded in the last four games, you know, which is quite a lot for them. Um, but in terms of in terms of to- how Tottenham have played actually the last few games, I actually don't think they've done too badly. And obviously they've been missing mm-hmm. some some of their big biggest players, obviously due to injury and just really unfortunate in that regard. And obviously Postacoglu came out after the game, didn't he, and mentioned that you know he's kind of had to slot a few players in, probably not their favourite positions, but he's kind of had yeah. to work around that. And for me, I think he's he's got to get a lot of credit and. He doesn't. I think he doesn't really want to move away too much from the way he's playing at the minute. He doesn't want to kind of go for a different approach, um, which just shows kind of... it's quite admi- I find that quite admirable for me, to be honest, and that he's, he's stubborn in his approach, but he also wants to kind of, you know, proceed with the way that he is playing. And I, th- I think it's it's great, to be honest, in terms of... I think they'll take a lot of confidence from that game, the Spurs players. Yeah. And, i think really especially that second half you can you imagine the confidence that they've probably taken from that second half
0: oh yeah massive well like they'd lost three in a row before this game hadn't they so they needed to not lose basically um or not get smashed by city and i think a few kind of pundits have predicted that, that was probably going to happen before the game i don't think many people had tottenham is getting a, a point even let alone three so Yeah, I think against that backdrop and with the defence they've got, where they've got wing backs playing at centre back and, you know, not their first choice defence by any means, I don't think they could have invited pressure at all or sat back because they'd have been punished, wouldn't they? City had so much of the ball. They had to almost go on the front foot and try and hit City on the counter because attack's the best performer defence when you've got such a ropey looking back four. So, you know, fair play for them to set it up the way they did.
1: I think the big thing for me, especially, is with the loss of a lot of these players, was can these other players step up uh, in the absence of, you know, the Madison, Van der Ven. And it, I just feel as though the answer to that has been, yes, I thought Kulusevski had a really excellent game. I thought he looked yeah. really threatening. Um, probably as well as I've seen him play for quite a while. He kind of went off the boil after a really promising start at Tottenham. And Sons, you know, he looks like, player that we've always known him to be and as soon as he came into the Premier League, he's had a new lease of life this season. And I think for them to kind of step up when they're really need it speaks volumes of their character.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kulisevsky I thought his best game for a while, still lacking a bit of end product, um, but his final third movement was much more like the Kulisevsky we saw when he was on loan um beforehand. Uh Sonya of course, Brennan Johnson I thought made an impact as well as a real nuisance of a play, wasn't he, going forward. And I think there's signs that he could be a real force for them too. And again, like you say, stepping up in the absence of of James Madison, and they're going to need that because he's out for a while, isn't he? So fair play to, to Tottenham. Uh, their XG was like 0.4 for the game. So to, to score three is, is ridiculous, really. That's the definition of productivity. But... City were, were pretty unlucky, I think. And I think two Manchester United fans talking about Man City, we've kind of almost got to play devil's advocate a little bit and put our bias aside and say that if we'd have had a chance to score in the final minute, chalked off in the way that City did, uh, where the referee apparently played advantage after a foul on Haaland, but then blew the whistle when Grealish was through on goal. I mean, we don't know what would have happened, but I'd be really super annoyed with that, wouldn't you, to put it mildly.
1: It looked ridiculous. I don't I I don't understand how it looks suspect. Right? As far I'd go as far as saying that, to be honest. Because even when they obviously rolled it back in the Sky Studio, didn't they, after the game, and you see how low yeah. late he actually blows, the ball's pretty much through to, to Jack Grealish. And he's through on goal, and that's pretty much when the whistle gets blown. It's not like it's you know, a few like a second or two before when the ball's no. kind of on its way through, it's when Grealish's got the ball. So I, I can't, for the life of me, I can't understand what went through the referee's mind there. And there's no. Well, he
0: gestured to play on. He opened his arms, yeah. didn't he, and went play on.
1: Yeah, and do you know why? It's it's ridiculous because I saw a headline earlier. I think it was by Sky Sports, and they have that thing where obviously they have Dermot Gallagher on and say. And basically, they were saying technically the referee's not done anything wrong. That was the headline, and I'm just like, that's that's crazy. How can you even excuse that?
0: I think it's because (laughs) he didn't break any sort of laws. Uh, He he could it's within his right to let the game play on or to stop it whenever he wants. There was a foul, so he could have pulled the game back for a foul. But I think the fact that he did let play go on quite like openly, like you saw his gesture saying play on, had the whistle in his mouth, but his arms were open when. Haaland played the ball through. It was only when the ball was pretty much at Grealish's feet that he blew the whistle, which is just mental, isn't it? And I think mm-hmm. they said that he'll wake up this morning feeling absolutely devastated with this, uh, the way this decision's played out. But why do you blow the whistle at that moment? It just makes no sense. And uh, I don't often find myself siding with Man City fans, but I'd feel really annoyed with that. And I think Pep Guardiola, to his credit, was fairly gracious at the end, which is not very often something you say about Pep Guardiola. I think he kind of didn't want to get involved too much with criticizing a referee because the replays spoke volumes, didn't they?
1: Oh, definitely. It was a it was a horrendous decision. There's no two ways about it. And we are kind of getting. I've already mentioned it, but we're kind of getting to the point now where we're getting to post match and we're spending more time talking about referees and VAR and decisions more than we are actually in football. That's what's dominating the headlines, and we don't want to We don't want, really want it to get to that to get that stage. But I think we're kind of past it, really. I think we're there already.
0: Well, City will see it as a missed opportunity, points dropped, et cetera, et cetera, as they chase for the title. But they've been off the boil for a few matches now. I think that's their third draw in a row in the Premier League. Um, I think I'm right in saying that Rodri is suspended again. Is that right? For for the next game? So we know how much they struggle without him. I don't know about you, but I looked at some of the chances they missed in this game, including the Harden. Like, he skied one at one point. And they just, I don't know what's wrong with them. They just look really off the pace. And I know Doku's been an incredible addition for them, hasn't he, on the wing. But can you say he's probably changed their game a little bit too much, maybe? Um, like he becomes the focus of their attacks now down that left-hand side. Um, he's not always looking for, for Haaland. I feel like they're, they're adapting a little bit the same way they kind of did when Haaland came into the team and when Grealish came into the team. And it's almost like they've got to adapt to a new way of going forward, haven't they? And It's not quite working yet.
1: I wouldn't say he's the wrong player I'd say he's a different player to have. He's very different to what they had then. It's probably actually what we already mentioned didn't we in the summer we said that obviously, with Bernardo Silva, Foden, Jack Grealish, they're different kind of creative players off of, off those flanks where they can they've not got that burst of pace and speed that you know that they've had in the past in Raheem Sterling and even to a slight degree Riyad Mahrez where he's actually got that a bit of acceleration or can turn a player the way that Doku can, um, it's yeah. going to take him to adapt. Let's let's not forget, it's it's a it's a brand new league, brand new. You know, it's a new country for him to come in and really adjust. But, I, Harland had a bad game for me. He, I think he had five shots. He didn't even get one on target, which is which is yeah. unheard of for him. Really, to be honest, yeah. he's normally efficient with his with his finishing. I, d- I said it last week and I say it again. I think they really miss Kevin De Bruyne. I think it's just yeah. he he takes them to that level that they need to be at in terms of creating chances. But really, his efficiency in creating chances it's not just it's not the new number of chances, but the quality of the passes and the crosses that he's able to sort to obviously provide. Yeah. And they really do miss that. Um, Holland definitely misses it because you know last last season it was it was ridiculous that sort of relationship that they had
0: so yeah they'll be they'll be itching for him to get back there's a few more games i could move on to next with a similar amount of goals dave but i'm actually not going to choose any of those i'm going to move on to the city ground where forest lost narrowly 1-0 to everton and the reason i'm going on to this game is because first of all we've got quite a few forest fans who are subscribed to the podcast. And I'm really curious to see what you think of of them and their performances of late. They're in poor form right now, but their performances aren't being rewarded on the pitch. But also we've talked a lot about Everton lately after their points deduction and um, a few people saying that maybe it's a blessing in disguise. I think that's a load of rubbish to be fair. I think they were on the European anyway Everton, weren't they? But a narrow win for Everton nonetheless, but let's start with Forrest, shall we? Steve Cooper is under pressure, I think, from what we hear. I don't know where from and who's saying this because it feels like it's outside sources saying that Steve Cooper's under pressure. Because as far as I'm aware, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Forrest fans, in the comments if you can, but I think Steve Cooper's almost universally liked, respected, and considered the best person for the job by the majority of people within Nottingham Forest. So why is he under pressure? Because again, they performed pretty well in this game, had the majority of the ball, but I think Taiwo Oni's absence is so sorely missed, isn't it? They just needed to score.
1: Yeah, and that's something that we've mentioned before, haven't we? That when he isn't in the team, it is just so noticeable. It's 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 night and day, really, the difference between how they play and as you know, as respectable as you know Chris Wood is, and you know some of the. The goals he's scored obviously throughout his career. He's just not the same player. I um, no. want you use that link that they've got really to get them up the field, he just holds up the ball like no other striker for me in, in the league. I think he's absolutely excellent at it. Um And obviously losing Brennan Johnson as well, which kind of goes under the radar a little bit now, to be honest. For, I, I think that's another player who he, he was absolutely key for them last season. Um obviously struck a really good relationship with with Gibbs White. Um yeah. and that's now that's missing. Gibbs White's kind of gone off the boil a little bit of late as well. Um but it's never easy when you've got so many injuries throughout riddle throughout the team, which they've really struggled with throughout the season since the beginning of the season. And then Players get back fit and then they're missing again. It just really un- interrupts that kind of consistency that you're able to build. And I do kind of feel for Steve Cooper to be honest. And they brought in yeah. a, a young player in Elanga, who is is shown glimpses. You know, he's provided moments and he scored a couple of important goals, obviously over the last you know month or two as well. Um, but he's another player who's kind of a work in pro in progress, really. Um mm. so I think he needs time and I don't think there are, there's any threat of them going down. I think they've got more than enough. There's a lot of talented players in there, particularly some of the some yeah. of the, the young talents that brought in the last couple of year, years years and Danilo and Murillo who we've spoke about in volumes already this season. Um I'd be very surprised if they get rid of it. Yeah.
0: Well I think that's the thing. They're so not comfortable but I think the threat of relegation seems so unrealistic because they're only a couple of wins away from like 10th place I think similar position to the likes of like Bournemouth even and and Fulham nearby you know it only takes a couple of wins for them to be back up in European talk again which is mad it's just the way the league is at the minute but they are unlucky. I, I agree. I think Willie Bolly went off at half time, didn't he, with an injury? And Murillo mm. again looks like he's been, been pick, picked up another knock. And yeah, there's a few kind of things that just set them back, isn't there? But for me, I just think that if Boris do get another number nine in, in the January transfer window that is of the same kind of style of play as a one year because he's so unique, isn't he, to the way they, they set up, then they'll be fine. Because at the minute, I think Wood's not that player, is he? Stylistically, it just doesn't sit.
1: No, and he doesn't. He's not the kind of player who's able to break with speed and kind of keep up with, you know, kind of the the wingers and the inside sort of forwards that they've got. Um, The likes of Alanga, Gibbs, White. Um, For me, I don't think he's really on the the right sort of same wavelength as them. Um, So, like you mentioned, I think they could do with getting somebody in, maybe even look at potentially bringing someone up. To, uh, promoting someone from the academy, if, it, if there's, you know, that's a little bit sort of outside of my kind of knowledge. I might have a few Forest fans who, you know, earmarked a few young talents who could potentially make the step up. Um, but I do feel like they need, they do need somebody in there, um, just to give them a bit more of a threat and a cutting edge because they do seem to lack it when Avani is not in the team.
0: It's funny, isn't it, the comparison between Forest and Neverton in that respect because. Everton without Dominic Calvert-Lewin are a different team again, aren't they? But they managed to to get that killer goal this time around. And I think the finish from Dwight McNeil was, was really good, wasn't it? It was a tight angle for him to score from, but he picked his spot and, and lashed it in. I think Forrest can be disappointed they didn't close it down at all. Uh, they just pretty much left him with a goal to aim at, albeit from an angle. But they will also be looking at the forward options and thinking can we replace Calvert-Lewin like for like? Because at the minute they can't. Beto missed a few chances in this game. But McNeil's proved pretty effective for them again. I think him alongside um, a couple of players have been really useful for Everton in kind of getting them out of trouble maybe. They would be on 17 points now if it wasn't for that that stupid 10-point deduction, which I'm sure they'll have um, reduced by some amount. But they look like a team that should be playing in 10th, 11th place in the Premier League at the minute, don't they? Because... They do have an assurance about them. I don't think there's any need for, for fans to be worried, is there? Or is that too premature to say?
1: I don't think so. And I think even with the decision that was obviously made from the Premier League, I, I thought, you know, the, the the way that they're riding at the minute is, you know, it's, there's a lot of positivity around the club even. I don't even think that's enough. And I don't think Sean Dyche will let that kind of affect the players. I think that's outside of the, of the bubble, so to speak, really. That's nothing that they can yeah. affect. So why should it affect the team? I think, I think the, the way they're playing at the minute, you know, it's, it's if they're playing a good a of football. I think the fans are quite happy with how they're playing, a lot of intensity and in terms of sort of how direct they are in attacking situations. Um, and it's quite a good comparison, actually, you make there about um, Calvert-Lewin and Beto. I think that's... Beto is probably not... He's definitely not as... Um, I won't say he's as good as a finisher as Calvert Lewin, but no, he's yeah. able to hold the ball up he's quick he's quick and behind, makes those runs. I think he gets on the end of chances and I think that's probably that's probably the sort of replacement that Forrest won really it doesn't, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't affect their style of play so much um they're able to play a very similar style of, of football um but Calvert Lewin is undoubtedly is the better finisher out of the out of the two and um, he's just got a better instinct about him, I feel. Um, but I, I think Efton oh, I don't think they could ask for much more, really. Everton fans. I think, particularly the way you know last season when um, you know the club was in turmoil and there was so much negativity around everything. I think what Sean Dyche has actually has done at the club, and I, I think he's exceeded many expectations. To be honest,
0: I think he's keen to play down just how much of an impact this points deduction will have. Obviously, I think he wants to just carry on with his business as usual and pretend it wasn't there because I think he doesn't want to use that as an excuse if it ever came to it. But its I think it's clear that that kind of adversity that, that they're facing, if any team face that, the fans for a start will come together. And you've seen that, haven't you, from the Everton fans? They've really kind of solidified their hatred towards the Premier League. And it's almost like this does against the world mentality, which I think is going to galvanise the, the fan base especially. And I think Dwight McNeil said similar after the game that this points deduction has made the players more determined than ever to sort of dig, them, dig themselves out of a hole that they shouldn't really be in. Do you think that this kind of points deduction, whatever it ends up being, will be a catalyst for them? Or is that too simplistic to say? Do you think it's maybe just like a small short-term Thing that's going to affect them for the next few weeks then once you know it's out of the headlines it'll be another struggle for them how much of an impact do you think this is going to have for me I think come the end of the season I think it'll
1: be forgotten about by a lot of fans other of, of, of other clubs um, it won't be yeah. forgotten by you know Everton fans you know absolutely no way in terms of sort of I think how they've been treated really I, th- I think it's unjust um, but I just think it because I think that because I think come the end of the season they'll be round or abouts mid table, um, well clear of safety and the crux of it really is if they were having the kind of season they were last year, it really could have affected them, you know, massively mm-hmm. and it could have been the difference between getting relegated and, and staying up. But I don't think that will be the case this year and I think that's why it will be largely forgotten about and that's that's you know, it's kinda of sad to say really, to be honest. But I just think that's that's the way it
0: is. Yeah, it's a platform of sorts and a weird platform to kind of build upon, isn't it? But yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that they would be on 17 points. And Sean Dyche said, you know, that's a, a great return if you look at it in that way compared to where they were last season and the season before. So onwards and upwards for Everton, it seems. Um, and yeah, a real turnaround for them. I'm going to move on to a game that I didn't see much of apart from the goals because the highlights was just full of crazy defending for a start. And that's Liverpool 4, Fulham 3. The goals that flew in were incredible, some of them. But a lot of them, I think, were down to just how gung-ho and cavalier both sides were. And I think tactically, it's something you could pick apart and just really go to town and criticise. But one goal that went in that I really do think we need to talk about is Alexis McAllister's finish. Um, which has been compared to Garnacho's in terms of how technically brilliant it is. So, two Manchester United fans having a debate about which goals better between Garnacho's and McAllister's. What do you think, Dave? What's your your preferred technical goal out of the two? Because McAllister's was brilliant, wasn't it?
1: Oh, it's a great strike. I think obviously two very different goals. You know, Garnacho's is. <sighs> I just think that was in a world of its own in terms of the difficulty of it. Um, how how often do you see those kind of goals scored? I mean, it's very little, really. In the way that it it went in, there was kind of you know it's pretty much very much in the corner of the goal, and how far away it was from the goal? It wasn't wasn't any really remotely remotely close. And obviously, the strike and cast, like you mentioned, the technique of it was, was absolutely outstanding. And oh, two very different goals. Difficult to choose between the two of them, but I think Garnaccio probably slightly shaved it for me.
0: <laughs> predictable. I'm actually going to go against the grain and say I think the technique of um, McAllister's was probably better. The way he lashed it, he properly like swat, like sliced it, didn't he? Um, which kind of gave it more venom in some ways. Um, and he had a little bit of time to think about it, but not much. I think if you watch the replay, it looks like he's in space, but it's not long before a defender gets close to him. So he had to think fast. And I think the way he man- maneuvered himself to really shape the shoe and the way he put his foot through it was technically brilliant. So... Yeah, I'm going to have to go out on the limb as a Manchester United fan and actually say that McAllister is probably better for me, but probably agree to disagree. Um, the Garnacho one, I've got to admit though, Dave, I've watched it about 20 times, I think, <laughs> since it, uh, <laughs> since I saw it. Probably more. In fact, it's pinned to my Twitter profile, so uh, I'll probably watch it a few more times. You were saying
1: before me about the McAllister one and as United fans, it was quite reminiscent of Paul Scholes versus Barcelona in Champions League yeah. semi final 2008 i thought the way the strike was very similar i just think the only main difference was mechanics just sat up a little bit more it was kind of a bit more on sort of half folly wasn't it so it was probably yeah. arguably more difficult really to sort of navigate um but yeah magnificent goal
0: yeah it's a fair comparison actually to paul's goals um because again it needed the same kind of technical um now spinning it to pull it off but Either way, acknowledgement of a great goal. Um, we haven't got Miles on the podcast with us today to discuss Aston Villa's latest um, away struggle um, as they drew two all against Bournemouth. So we'll have to go ahead without him and um, pick it apart. Um, again, once I think Villa fans will look at results like this, this 2-2 draw against Bournemouth. And whilst credit is due to Bournemouth for the way they performed, it feels like another missed opportunity to kind of perform above and beyond where we expect Villa to be, doesn't it? Because they're in and around the top four. They're in the top four currently, but again, it's another what could have been had they got three points here. And I think the goals that Villa scored from Leon Bailey, first of all, cutting inside and hitting it on his left, and, and obviously Ollie Watkins with the equaliser deep into the, the last minute of the game, are both admirable. But the way they're conceding goals away from home tells a different story, doesn't it? It's an almost completely different set of psychological circumstances playing away for them. Why do you think that is, mate?
1: It is kind of difficult to pick apart. I think if you look at where especially the first goal that they conceded, it all comes from an, an individual error really and that's coming trying to play out from the back and we've we've yeah. seen how has uh, wanted uh, Bournemouth to to set up and play their game and obviously they, their counter-press has, has really come on as the season sort of progressed and I, inevitably i don't think you can slate Villa too much That you know if you look at the way they've played this season and the way they've built their play from the back it's it's been you know really good um and i do feel as though it's just one, one of those things it's going to happen at times where you probably are going to lose possession it's just i think because they concede the possession so deep um in in their so close to their, their penalty area and Semenyo's he couldn't be in any better position they're just really unfortunate that he actually loses the ball um yeah. vellegan back and that it's just one straight pass and he's in behind because he's 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 so close to the opposition goal that he's there to take advantage and it's it's a great finish from him but uh, it is it is a, a bit of a concern i think that they're they're away form and i think it will be it be really deciding for them in terms of whether they can actually make that next jump. I think Yeah. I think I did think, to be honest, before the beginning of this game, I thought this could be a banana skin for them. The way that Bournemouth have been playing of late. Um obviously True. won their last two games. Um obviously on the back of a great result against Newcastle and a really good result against Sheffield United. I thought this could be a difficult game for them and and it was. And um obviously Areola is he, another manager of the month nominee is is improved yeah. that team by, you know, considerable amounts. And I, I just do feel as though Villa, if you look at the goal, two goals that they, they scored, great goals. You know, Leon Pretty Bailey has been far improved from what we saw last year. I think we were just waiting for him to kind of piece it together. And he, he looks very much like a player... Very new to the league and was just trying to find his feet. He did pick up a couple of really unfortunate injuries, at really,
0: yeah. you know, uh,
1: unfortunate times. But he's starting to really make that sort of right, right wing his position. And yeah, doing you know, what he's done all season and scoring important goals, and that could be a really vital point for them coming into the year. They've got quite a good gap, quite a decent cushion still between themselves, and I think six sixth place i think it's like four points yeah. um which is, it's just not pretty good at this time of time of year and there there are going to be other points that are dropped throughout the season but you know teams in and around there it's going to be especially during this christmas period it's going to be absolutely hectic so yeah i think it's a it's a good point for me i think it is
0: a good point what well, unai emery actually said in his own words this point is not the best but it's not the worst that kind of sums it up in a nutshell, doesn't it? It was um, it was a point that they couldn't really afford to drop, but it's also a valuable point in staying in the top four hunt, isn't it? So it's a sign of how far Villa have come that they are disappointed at losing the points in that way, really.
1: I think if they'd have gone ahead, it was the the Carlos goal, wasn't it? it was given offside. Yeah. I think if 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 they got in front, and that was the main thing for me. If they went went ahead, that's then made it two one. I think they probably would have gone on and won it because we've seen. Mm-hmm time and again this season where they've gone ahead and they've really kind of taken the initiative and and you know compounded more misery on their opponents and they weren't able to kind of really push the case this year this this game but uh, we've seen you know many game this season they're not struggled to create opportunities and score goals and i i, I think i think there will be there thereabouts at the end of season contending for them european places.
0: I think conceding the, the first goal away from home is always a killer for them and they never seem yeah. to take the lead away from home so within 10 minutes Semenyo's goal kind of ruined any momentum they might have built up but to be fair Semenyo could have been sent off i don't know if you saw but mm-hmm. he probably could have and should have had a second yellow and how many times have we seen that this season as well where the player's already on a yellow has a contentious foul kind of just overlooked and not given a second when actually if that was his first defence he probably would have been booked. So I think Villa can count himself slightly unlucky there as well to be fair. I
1: don't don't understand those decisions from referees. It's almost like sometimes, you know, especially when they make a decision and think, oh, maybe that first one wasn't a yellow so I won't give this one a yellow. That's just not how it should be. If you've made a mistake, make the right decision next time, do you know what I mean? Not make two mistakes. It's just, it's just terrible. It was, it was a blatant yellow, and yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I, I, as much as I, I, really don't like the idea of this Sinbin bin uh, thing. They're gonna come bring in and sort of trial. I think it's gonna be horrendous to be honest, because it's gonna put even more pressure on referee and VAR. Um, yeah. There will be more stoppages. It will be an absolute nightmare that was a that is a tactical foul that should just be a yellow card. Any shirt pull or any pullback where it's preventing, you know, a break or anything yeah. like that could always be a yellow card for me.
0: I think that's the thing. It's the grey area because it's not like a dangerous foul in any way. But yeah, it's enough to warrant a yellow card at any other stage of the game if there's not a previous offence. So yeah, Sin being in that situation sounded perfect, didn't it? But either way, yeah. Villa get the, the valuable point. What I'm going to move on to next, I think, just to finish the podcast is Paul Heckingbottom, who, reading the headlines as we record this on the Monday evening, is that Sheffield United are set to sack him. And I never know what that means with the club when they're set to sack him and who's leaked that information or how do the media get a win that sacking is due any moment. But either way, the guy's waiting for his fate to be decided. I mean, they got absolutely smashed 5-0 by relegation rivals Burnley this weekend. And that's the kind of result that sees a manager lose his job at the end of the day, doesn't it? Because they, they shot themselves in the foot massively with the sending off. Ollie McBurney could have got sent off for his first yellow for his, uh, his elbow, but his flailing arms kind of didn't do the team any justice at all. So I feel for him in a way. It's not nice to ever see a manager sacked, but it seems like he's the first manager to go, doesn't it? And kind of not really surprised if he does, is it?
1: No, not at all. Um, you know, results haven't improved. Um, I think, it's it's just been a matter of time for me to be honest and they're definitely one of the favorites to go down there's no doubt about it um i think you speak to a lot of fans um i know a couple through family and they just kind of acknowledge that their squad and their players that the personnel isn't good enough um and they need more they need needed more reinvestment into mm-hmm. the squad um in the yeah. summer which wasn't enough and it was it seems to me like a ticking time bomb I think he's, he's going to go and it seems like that's going to be the case Um, and the talk is I think Chris Wilder coming back in
0: which yeah. would
1: be an interesting
0: one the guy you couldn't get, was it Watford performing in the championship um, with a pretty talented team? Um, and the, t- the guy that got them relegated last time around, or pretty much was responsible for it. Why they call him back, I don't know. But I guess he knows the club. It's that age-old phrase, isn't it? It's a manager that knows the club. And at this stage of any season, who are they going to get in? Apart from like big Sam Allardyce, which is you know, a well trodden path anyway for a lot of clubs. I don't know. I kind of feel, feel for him in a way because he's been handed a pretty rough hand on being promoted. You know, sold two of two of the best players pretty much and not really replaced them with, with the quality that was even on a par, let alone Premier League standard or improving upon what they already had. So I'm not surprised it's gone this way, to be fair, um, but it's never nice to see a manager sacked. But Burnley, on the other hand, I mean, against 10 men, they were always going to find it easier, weren't they? They've threatened to kind of have a result like this for a while. They always seem like a front foot team. And Vincent Company would be like massively relieved, I think, to see this many goals go in. Because if they hadn't have taken advantage of that extra man, I think he would have been under pressure as well after this game if he hadn't to produce this kind of result. Do you think this is kind of just rewards for Burnley sticking to their guns and playing the way they've always played and not really adapting to the Premier League? Do you think this is something that they can build upon? or is it literally one of those freak results that is dependent on so many external factors to kind of come together?
1: It's a huge result for them. It's more—it's a six-pointer really, isn't it, against obviously relegation, yeah. fellow relegation candidate. Not only is it just a huge result for them because of that, but we saw it against West Ham. They had a lot of opportunities, um, which they really failed to capitalise on. And I think just to score five goals, um, and obviously put those chances away, which they've kind of been gu- guilty of, you know, not being able to do so um, yeah. over the course of the season. It's huge for them and should give them massive boost of confidence. Um, and it's just something for them to build on from here, really. It's, you know, it's still a long way to go and a mountain to climb, really, from sort of where they are. Um, but it, it's it's huge for them. I, mean, I can't say how, how big a, result this is, really. Um, but, like you mentioned, it's it's a, it's a young team as well, this Burnley squad. Um, yeah. And relatively inexperienced in terms of, you know, Premier League experience. I've got a manager in there who's obviously been there and done it and won, won things. But it's really difficult as well to kind of, I suppose, to ready some of your players and kind of for them to know what to expect and what sort of levels they need to be at, really, especially in coming into the league after you know, a little bit of a period out. Um, but it'll be interesting to see really where they go from here now and if they can build on it.
0: Well, you say they've got a young squad, but it was, uh, it was Rodriguez who got the first goal, wasn't it? Who's proven pretty um, pretty pivotal for them in the last few games in uh, at least getting themselves in a position to score goals. But yeah, to see five at the back of the net, I don't think creating chances has been much of a problem for them. Finishing, finishing them definitely has. I think Burnley are just a victim of really naive defending. Like they've made so many mistakes at the back that have been carved open by teams with more Premier League now and Savvy. And I just think they're really lacking that. And I think that's a dangerous game to play when you're signing players who are too young and have got potential and, uh, you know, probably ones for the future. When you're in a relegation scrap, that's not really going to win you that many points. So I think you're right. This kind of result is absolutely huge for them. I'm not sure they can build on it. I feel like Luton are... a Better team, probably a more savvy team in that respect, don't you think?
1: Losing a strange one. Like, the way they've gone about in the season it actually impressed me more and more as the season has gone on, and some of the players, you know, the displays that they've put in. So yeah, they're like you say, they're two very different teams. I think Burnley like to be quite expressive, and we saw the way that they obviously got promoted last year in you know absolutely crazy fashion. Some of the football they played was absolutely outstanding and while they can be quite open at the back at times um like you mentioned I don't think they're going to change their way of playing. they they play their football the way they do um you know with expression and but it it could you know that could be their downfall really at the end of the season is it's it's become a little bit difficult for them to kind of shut up shop at times and they have made sort of errors Trying to sort of play out from the back at times, and um, but again, it's a it's a learning process, and it's a it's a new experience, especially for some of the younger players that have got coming through. Um, so it's you know this is what we this is what we play for to get promoted up to the Premier League. Um, you know you don't want to just hang around into the, in the Championship for year on <laughs> year on end, no. and then, you know accumulate wins here and there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see where they go obviously now until the end of the season
0: Well before we talk on the next pod there's so much football to be played because there's a midweek round of fixtures which is mad like on Wednesday some of the games Villa against Man City Man United against Chelsea some big big games coming up so hopefully have Miles to help us pick through all those, Dave, and um, I dread to think what Resort United will get against Chelsea at home. I don't care who we play against at the minute. It feels like I'm, I'm negative about it, aren't you? It's a bit of a weird one to United right now.
1: They've only got one point from, I think, all of their top... The top nine away games that they've played since Ten Hag's come in, they've accumulated one point and they've lost all the other games.
0: a yeah, is... shocking record.
1: Um... Absolutely awful. Anyway, no to talk about United you know, this week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I'll, I'll just say thank you. I love you and leave you on that note, Dave. Please do hop over to our YouTube channel, hit subscribe if you can, um, leave a comment, um, join our growing family of, of football fans. We, you know, we've people from any football club really to join the conversation. But now more than ever, Dave, thank you and Glazers out, mate. See you soon.
1: Hopefully, we'll stop saying that soon when they're actually gone from the club at some point when
0: they've buggered off yeah hopefully (laughs) (laughs) cheers man see you later